Amen. Thank you, Daryl. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll continue our study uh, through this book. Are you enjoying this study through 1 Corinthians? Uh, it is a, an, actually an excellent study. Uh, touches on a lot of different areas in our Christian walk. And as I said last week, this is a, um, a, just a, a natural break in the letter uh, that Paul is making here as he transitions now uh, from dealing with some of the public issues and public sins uh, that was taking place in the church and the lives of the Christians to now addressing some of their questions that they had written to him in a letter that he is now answering some of their questions. Look at, the, if you will, the very first um, verse, chapter 7, verse number 1. The very first verse starts out, Paul says, about the things you wrote. So now he is spending the rest of this letter through the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, now just addressing some of the questions that they had written into him about and some of the concerns that, uh, that they had. They had some questions about marriage, which primarily, chapter 7, deals primarily with marriage uh, and divorce a little bit. Now, once again, as I said last week, and I just want to put this disclaimer in, Paul does not not give an all uh, or, or an exclusive, completely uh, theological, doctrinal marriage in this one chapter. Um, you, you've got to take the whole Bible. You, you've got to... You've got to uh, go into other portions of Scripture and bring out that entire doctrine. But he's just listing a few things. He's just pointing out a few principles, and uh, he's not given a, a complete doctrine of marriage. Okay, so understand that uh, whenever you look at uh, chapter 7, because there are going to be other questions that would rise um, that are not even addressed in this particular chapter. So we just need to be be aware of that. He's just trying to... Um, answer some of the questions that they had written in. Now, one of the questions we talked about last week, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but just so we can transition uh, through the other questions, one of the questions they asked about was celibacy. And they were asking, is it more spiritual to be celibate or, or, or not? And, of course, we kind of nailed that home last week, and, and it's not more spiritual or, or sub-spiritual if you are married. And, and uh, so Paul was kind of addressing that particular issue. But look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And let's just begin reading verse 1. About the things you wrote, it's good for a man not to have relation uh, with, a, with, with a woman. Verse 2. But because of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Right there, Paul nails down a principle uh, for marriage or one of the purposes for marriage is to, as the King James says, to avoid fornication or to avoid sexual immorality. In other words, Paul said, if you can't control yourself and, and, you, and you've got to be involved sexually, then get married. And, and in a nutshell, that's what he's saying. He said, don't go around out there and sleep around with everybody and do this and that and the other. He said, if, if you can't control yourself, he said, I wish you were like me. And at this particular point, we nailed out some of what we believe about Paul and his life at this particular stage last week. But, but Paul is without wife. And many believe, and there's a difference there, that either one, he was never married, or two, he was married and his wife had died. I tend to, tend to lean towards the second uh, thought there about, about Paul. But at this point, he has no wife. His wife had uh, apparently, and we don't know, Scripture doesn't definitively tell us, so where there is no hardline Scripture, we cannot make a hardline stand. Uh, so we just kind of speculate somewhat. Uh, but Paul, at this time, had, had no wife, okay? I do not believe that he was married and divorced, uh, but I do believe possibly that his wife had died. And he said, I wish all men were like me. We just devote our lives to the work of the Lord and give our lives to him and allow him to just do whatever because the responsibilities are less on a man's life 
as far as having to care for a family and do the work of the Lord at the same time. So, but he says, if you cannot control yourself, he says then that we should marry and each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Now, I want you to pay attention to that. And as we come on down through here, um, verse three, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Equally, a husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. And do not deprive one another, except for when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, here's one of the things that I just want to try to point out right here. And, and this is talking about being involved sexually one with another as a husband and a wife. Sexual love, and here's a statement I want to make. Sexual love is a beautiful tool to build with. It is not a weapon to fight with. Understand? It's a beautiful tool that God allows a husband and wife to come together to enhance that marital relationship. Okay? So the world, because of the, the muck and the mire of the world, it seems like we've got this, this, this negative viewpoint uh, on sex because they've taken it and perverted it. But within the context of marriage and scripture, it's a very beautiful, beautiful tool that enhances and completes and just brings tremendous intimacy in a married couple. Okay, But on the other hand, sexual love is not a weapon to fight with. You cannot withhold yourself or manipulate a situation to get what you want for your own advantages. You guys look at me like a bullfrog in a hellstorm. You, you, you know what I'm talking about here. Let's just be real, okay? It's what the Bible's talking about. All right? It's, so it's not a weapon to fight with. And Paul's saying, don't, don't withhold yourself one from another. Because when you do, you're going to open yourself to temptations from the devil. And he's really going to have an inroad into your life. And now... Because you, for whatever reason, are using this as a weapon to to fight with or to manipulate or to get your particular way, either spouse doing that, now you've opened up the other spouse to be tempted by Satan. And now there may be an approach from someone at work or from a neighbor or from a friend or whatever the case may be. And believe it or not, and I've sat through numerous marriage counseling sessions, it happens. Okay? So the Bible says that we should not manipulate one another with sexual love. And Paul says, don't withhold yourself from your spouse, okay? Unless you have agreed to come together and, or, or, to, or to remain apart for a season of prayer and really working on your spiritual life, fasting and praying. And, but he says, as soon as that's over, you guys come together. So he's talking a little bit about that. Now let's go on down to verse number eight and nine. He, look what he says. He says, I say to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with desire. So once again, here's a principle that I just alluded to. Paul is saying that if you cannot control yourself, get married. Bottom line. Hello? If you can't control yourself, get married. All right? These couples that are dating... Premarital sex is wrong. Just let's say it. It's sin. You're not free to go out there and test the fields. Lay around with whoever you want to lay around with and pick and choose 
You're not free to do that. That's sin. Okay? But if you have that desire, and, and, and the scripture, he says that uh, to, to, to burn with this desire. What is that talking about? Burning with this desire. It's talking about this desire to be involved sexually. That's what he's talking about. He's saying if you have that burning desire, he says, get married. All right? It's pretty plain. It's not really taught in our day a whole lot. It doesn't seem, especially in coming out of Hollywood and all that we see there. But he's saying, get married. And then you're free to to do that. Okay? Let's go down to verse 10 and verse 11. Now, once again, in verses 1 through verse 11, Paul is writing or talking and is addressing Christians that are married to Christians. And that's what we're looking at from last week, trying to continue through. In verse 10 and 11, not only did the church have questions about celibacy... But apparently they had a question or two about divorce. Now look what, if you will, in verse 10 and verse number 11. Paul says, I command the married. Not I, but the Lord. In other words, now he's, now he's given some teachings that Jesus actually taught. And he's sharing with the church at Corinth, the believers at Corinth, what Jesus had to say on this particular subject. So he says in verse 10, I command the married, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to leave his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. So here we see, verse 10, 11. Here we see the principle that Paul is laying down. And he's really citing the teachings of Jesus. And we can go back in the Gospels and in Matthew chapter 5 and other references. And, and we can see where Jesus addressed this particular issue. But what he's saying here is that, no, you're not to get a divorce. You're, you're to stay together. Now, I realize that that is the ideal marriage. And just let me say this right here. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Okay? Nor are you a second-class Christian if you have been divorced and remarried. I think it's a sin that you've got to confess and repent of and ask God to forgive you and recognize that you failed and you sinned. Hello? So you're not a second-class Christian if you've been married and divorced, but the ideal marriage, God's saying, don't get divorced. And Paul is saying, stay together. Okay? Now, Jesus did give an exception. And what was that one exception? Turn with me, if you will, back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and here this is continuing the great Sermon on the Mount, that a lot of times we think the Sermon on the Mount just deals with the Beatitudes. Uh, You are robbing yourself of so much great teaching if that's all you think is there. Uh, As he continues on talking about and preaching about a lot of different issues, really starts in verse number 27. You've heard that I said, do not commit adultery. And then he goes on, he talks a little bit about the, the not, not necessarily the physical practice of it, but the intent of the heart. If the intent of the heart is wrong, if you lust and look after someone, you've committed adultery already in your heart. You've already sinned, okay? And he goes on to verse number 31. He said, it is also said, Matthew 5, verse 31. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, now here comes the... The, the exceptional clause, if you will. Except in a case of sexual immorality or adultery taking place. Now let's read it again. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, let's leave out the clause, okay? Let's leave out the exception. Let's read it without the exception. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery. 
And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So there you see that, G- that the Lord's saying, hey, it's wrong to divorce. Okay? We can go back in the book of Malachi and you can just see that where it says that God hates divorce. Now that's a strong word. Uh, why does he hate it? Because of all the implications, all the, all the pain, all the hurt that it causes, not only you at that particular time, but children and, and, and children after you and, and the entire effects it has on you the whole rest of your life. It's not, it's not an act that's just done once and then forgotten about, oh, it's, oh, I messed up, sorry, and go on. You have to live with that the rest of your life and deal with the implications of those decisions and the consequences that are going to follow. Okay? So that's why he hates it. But he did give an exceptional clause, if you will. He did give um, a reason why you could divorce. Let's read, read it now with the clause in, verse 32. But I tell you, Jesus said, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality. So therefore now he would not cause her to commit adultery and, and whoever marries her to commit adultery. Because that's the exception, okay? So therefore, Jesus is saying the only way that, that we would even consider divorce being somewhat okay is in the, is in the area of sexual immorality or, or adultery taking place. And, and, uh, but that doesn't mean just because your spouse or you as a spouse has been unfaithful that you should get a divorce. I believe still that's the last option. You see, I think the ideal situation to take place would be that there's confession, that there's forgiveness, and then there's reconciliation. Because we serve a God who's able to take our faults and our failures and our hurts and our pains, and he's able to work those things out in an individual or in a couple's love. And I've been able to counsel couples that have committed fornication and and see them continue on in their marriage. Is it difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there's been so many things violated in that marriage. It's hard to overcome. Is it impossible? No. Because I've got chapter and verse that tells me it's not. With, finish it for me. With God, all things are possible. So is it impossible for a husband and wife that one has been unfaithful and slept around with someone, either one, Adultery is taking place. Is it impossible for that husband and wife to stay together and continue on and have a beautiful marriage? Is it impossible? The answer is no. And if we're going to say, yes, it's impossible, then i got to quit preaching. i, I got to step down. I'm no longer worthy to stand here and preach this book. Listen, now, if I didn't believe that God could change lives, and if I didn't believe that God could get in a situation and work it out for the good... And bring healing to our lives in spite of our flaws, then, then I don't have any reason whatsoever to stand here and preach this book. But I believe that God can work in every situation. Now, I believe it's going to take some, it's, it's going to take the Spirit of God working in a husband and wife's life in order to overcome that. Would you agree? That's the only way it would take place. But we see here that Scripture teaches, or Paul is saying, or Jesus is saying, The only reason that I would give you the option for divorce is in the case of if one party has been guilty of fornication or adultery, and that would be grounds for divorce, okay? But here's been my experience as a a pastor. Whenever I see a husband and a wife 
that number one, they have yielded themselves to the Lord and to the leadership of the Lord in their life. And number two, they seek to please the other rather than, than themselves. You know what I see? I see a beautiful marriage where God is glorified, an example for the entire world, but it only can take place when one is yielded to the Holy Spirit and two, when we seek to please the other instead of ourselves. And I'll tell you something, guys. There's a, there's a frightening trend that is taking place in the church today. There's a frightening trend that is taking place in the ministry today. And it's called divorce. It must break the heart of God when he sees that taking place in the church and he sees that taking place in the ministry. Okay? Does it mean we're second class or you're second class? No, it doesn't mean that whatsoever. Is there forgiveness? There's always forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Amen? Is there restoration? There's always restoration. Is there a life that continue to be blessed? Oh, certainly. And all of that's in the name of Jesus. And that's some of the benefits we have. But that doesn't excuse us to go back to the original text and say, is it right? It isn't because of all the hurt and the pain. So Paul is addressing that. The second thing, and we're going to continue on from that, in verses 12 down through verse number 24, now Paul is addressing the Christians that are married to non-Christians. Okay? So now we see that some of the church members at Corinth, and this is in the letter that they wrote to Paul, and these are some of the things that he now is addressing, some of the questions that they had, and he now is addressing them back to these individuals. Apparently now there's some individuals that were married, that were unsaved. They're both unsaved. Husband and wife, both unsaved. But through the ministry at Corinth, one now comes to the Lord. One now, whether it be husband or wife, has come to the Lord. They are now a believer. They're now a Christian. So now they're in the church and they're looking at their current situation. And they're saying, I'm a believer. And I'm involved, actively involved in the church at Corinth. But my husband or my wife is not a believer. And they are not actively involved in the church at Corinth. What should I do, Paul? Should we get out of this marriage? What should I do? And the reason we know they ask that question is because of the writings of Paul and what he lists in these verses following concerning what we, be, we believe that to be the, the, the question that they ask. Let's look, if you will, in verse 12, down through verse number, um, let's just read down through verse number 24. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the Christian husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to peace for your wife. For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or you, husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Let's just stop right there and deal with these these particular verses here. I believe what they've asked, the question is, should we remain married now that we are believers to our unbelieving spouse? And of course the answer is yes. 
Paul is saying, yes, remain married. And why should they remain married? Look what he says in the latter part of verse number 13, 13 and 14. He says, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, live. Let's go down, I'm sorry, to verse 15. Uh, no, where am I looking for? Verse 14. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the Christian husband. What does that mean? Does that mean that if one spouse, husband or wife, has accepted Christ, they've become members at the church at Corinth, does that mean now because of their faith in Jesus Christ that their husband or wife, that's an unbeliever, that's not involved in the church, does it mean that they are now saved as a result of them being saved? No, it does not. You see, salvation is an individual thing. It's between you and you alone and God, okay? And just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean my wife is a Christian. That's between her and the Lord. Same thing here. But Paul is saying this. He's saying, by your testimony and by your faithfulness and by the faithful life that you are living for the Lord, you create a far greater environment in the home for the unbelieving spouse to come to Christ. And by your faithfulness to him or her, and by your faithfulness to the Lord, and by your faithfulness to being actively involved in the church at Corinth, Paul is saying that your spouse will have a great opportunity, and maybe even a better opportunity, to come to know the Lord through your faithfulness. Now, here's something that I have seen over my years of ministry. I have seen wives, I have seen husbands with unbelieving spouses. And I've seen them be faithful to the Lord in their life that they're living. And I've seen them be faithful to the church that they are serving in. And you know what I've also seen? I've seen because of their faithfulness, I've seen their spouse and their family come to know the Lord simply because they were faithful. So the bottom line is this. Paul is saying, no, don't leave your spouse just because they're unsaved and they're not members of the church. You remain faithful. And by your faithfulness, prayerfully, they will be saved as they watch you live your Christian life. Does that make sense? Is that kind of clear? I remember one situation back, uh, and I think I've shared this with you before, but one particular situation that I remember back home, back in in North Carolina, in Bryson City, in the church where I was pastoring before I came here, uh, there was a lady um, called Lizzie, named Lizzie Bowers, and, and she sat on the far back corner of the church. And for years, even years before I came there, she was the only one out of her family that came to church. Now, she had a large family. She had kids and grandkids, and she had, you know, a husband, and they'd been married all these many years. And But she was a faithful Christian. And none of her family would come to church with her. And I remember when I started pastoring the church, I looked back there, and there she would sit by herself. And any time we would say, does anyone have a prayer request? You know what her request? Every single time. Never failed. I knew when she raised her hand what she was going to ask for. You know what she asked for? Will you pray for my husband, Walt? Pray for Walt. He needs to know the Lord. He's not saved. Will you pray for my kids? They need to know the Lord. They're not saved. They're tremendously influenced by their dad. He's not a believer. Will you pray for my family? Pray for my family. And I remember for year after year after year as I remained there as the pastor, we would pray for Walt. We would pray for Lizzie's family. And you know what happened the year before I left? 
the back three rows of that church were eventually filled with her entire family. Now get this, she sat there by herself for years, years, praying for her family. And the year before I left, her family took up three rows in the church. Her husband got saved, her kids got saved, her son, which is about my age, Surrendered to preach under my ministry there. I had the privilege of ordaining him. He is now a pastor in a church down in North Carolina. I mean, God worked through who? He worked through her faithfulness. And I believe there is where this scripture comes to light. And there's a wonderful example of this passage of scripture. Should we leave because we have an unbelieving spouse? No. No, we should not. We should remain faithful. And allow the Lord to work in our hearts so that that individual can be able to, to come to the Lord. And we've certainly seen that as evidence in, in my own life. I've seen it personally. All right, let's go on farther. In verse number 17, as we just try to pick out a few things in this text. Look what he says. Um, actually, um, yeah, verse number 17. However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I commanded in all the churches. Was, was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not matter, but keeping God's commandments do or does. Verse 20, each, each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. And then he gives a few situations in the following verses. Were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern to you, but if you become free, uh, by all means, take the opportunity. For he is who is called by the Lord is a slave and, and so forth and so on. What he's talking about here, they're asking them, in, in the situation that I am, because Jews and Gentiles alike are coming into the church family here at Corinth. And so now they're saying, now that I am a Christian, a believer, as a Gentile that has not been circumcised, do I now need to go out and be circumcised? Or the Jew is saying, because I was circumcised and I come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm part of the church at Corinth, do you get uncircumcised? And Paul is saying, no, it's not that stuff that matters, okay? And the principle that I believe he's laying down here is that even though Christians are are one in Christ, each believer should remain in the same calling that the Lord has saved him. And I believe that's in reference also to to the situation where you have two unconverted, unsaved, unbelieving husband and wife, and now one is a Christian, should they leave that situation? And Paul is saying no, okay? No, do not change those things. You continue to be faithful. Now, let me just say, put in something here, just as a, a sidebar. And, and the, Christ, or the counsel that, that Paul is giving here now in verses 12 through verse number 24 are Christians that are married to non-Christians. Now, The questions that he is addressing are the fact that they both were unbelievers and married in that state, but one has accepted Christ. So what do I do now in that situation? Paul's saying remain there and be faithful. And through your faithfulness, that husband or that wife can be led to the Lord. Let me say this for all the teenagers that are here and and the young people that are here and those that are dating, possibly. It is an act of of disobedience to God to knowingly to knowingly 
marry an unsaved person. It's an act of rebellion on your part. It's an act of disobedience to knowingly wed an unsaved person. That's kind of hardline preaching and hardline teaching. But I got a chapter and verse for it. Right? And we can only make hard stands where we have chapter and verse. So let's turn and look at that. Second Corinthians, if you will. Actually, before you leave chapter seven, look at the very last verse of chapter seven. Verse number, um, verse number 40. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband died, she's free to be married to anyone she wants only in the Lord. What does that mean? That's talking about if, if you're married and your spouse dies, you're, you're free to remarry. But there is one stipulation. There is one there is one thing that's got to be checked off the to-do list about this person. Are they a believer? Are they a Christian? And Paul is saying, yes, you are free to remarry, but only to someone that is in the Lord. Okay? That is a believer. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse number 14. Now, once again, I'm... Coming off the premise of this statement, it's an act of disobedience to a Christian. And who came to reign over his people as king. But that's not what they were singing. Jesus is very aware of this. Just like we read back in chapter 2, verse 25. He knew what was in the hearts of men. He knew why people were excited to see him. He knew why he was being welcomed by this group of Galileans. Robert Mounts in his commentary on John says, although the Galileans welcomed him, it would appear that their reception was based on what he could do for them. Here's or for a Christian to knowingly, to knowingly marry an unbeliever. It's an act of disobedience. And if we rebel against this doctrine, this teaching, consequences will follow. Okay? It's going to be a tough road. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The King James Version starts out like this. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says this. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does Lot have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with? With an unbeliever. And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we, our bodies now, are the sanctuary of the living God. Guys, let's just nail this home. Parents, let's nail this home. It's an act of disobedience for a believer, a Christian. To knowingly marry an unbeliever. It's a spirit of rebellion. And it's an act of disobedience. And I believe we can firmly make that claim. According to God's word. Now if you're both unsaved. And one comes to Christ. Stay in that marriage. Your faithfulness hopefully will lead the other to the Lord. Matter of fact Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're both unsaved. One comes to Christ. And this husband or wife is not willing to live 
with a Christian and they leave? Paul says, let them leave. That's what he says in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 7. Let them go. Okay? Now we're talking about a believer searching for someone to marry. Or, within the context of the Scripture, chapter 7, verse 39, our spouse has died. We are a Christian. We are a believer. And Paul is saying, you are free to remarry, but only in the Lord. What's he saying? Same thing he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. You cannot be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be mismatched with someone who is an unbeliever. So, if you are a Christian, you are a believer, you're walking in the Lord, the very first thing that you, sh- you should look for in a mate... Is that person a Christian? If they're not a Christian, I shouldn't even pursue that. Hello? That's just not some narrow-minded daddy talking. That's what the Bible says. Hello? That's what the Bible says. And we've got to stay true to God's Word. And I believe when we do, we certainly will be be blessed. First Corinthians chapter seven. Let's go back there. Now I've only got just a few more minutes, and I'm going to have to stop. First Corinthians chapter seven. A few more questions that are kind of brought up that Paul's addressing here, and I've already alluded to to this particular one. Uh, suppose the the unsaved mate leaves the home. Look in verse number fifteen. But if the unbeliever leaves, Paul said, "Let him leave." Okay, let him leave. Let her leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to peace. Now, that doesn't mean you don't try to work on the relationship. That doesn't mean you just run them out. That doesn't mean you're not doing everything possible to to make this marriage work. Okay? But if they decide that they're not going to live with a Christian person, and that's kind of where the line's being drawn there, and it's, it's, it's rough in that home, and they leave, and they're not willing to live with you as a believer, as a Christian, Paul says, Scripture says, just let them leave. Brother or sister is not bound in such cases because God has called you to peace, Okay? Now, there's other things you could pull Scripture from and run on that, but we're staying true to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or trying to, in this particular situation. Let's look at another uh, question that they have here. Does separation then give the Christian mate the right to divorce and, and remarriage? And, and, of course, Paul is saying no here in these passages of Scripture. What if the unconverted mate ends up living with another person, and, well, that will constitute adultery and give grounds for divorce? But even in that, whenever there is... Whenever there's, there's fornication, there's adultery taking place in the marriage, I just believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. Let's pay attention to this, and I'm going to stop. Look at verse 10 and 11. I command the married, not I but the Lord, a wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Pay attention to that latter part. Be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. I believe also he should be reconciled, stand true to the scripture, to her husband, putting him in the same situation as as the wife. Let me tell you what God's plan is for a husband and wife. 
that there's been unfaithfulness in that marriage. There's been trust that's been violated. There's been tremendous hurt and pain. Let me tell you what God's plan is there. It's still not divorce. Although he does give the exception for that in Matthew 5. His plan is reconciliation. His plan is to seek first forgiveness, restoration, and be reconciled one to another. Now, Paul certainly does not deal with every situation dealing with marriage and divorce, but he answered a few of the questions that the church at Corinth had here in chapter number 7. And let me close out with a few things that I wrote in my notes here that I want to share with you. We're prone to think that a change in circumstances is always the answer to a problem. For, in, for instance, a married couple is having difficulties in their marriage. Sometimes we think the problem is just in our circumstances. And boy, if I could just get out of this marriage and get into another marriage, everything would be beautiful. Let me share some more of what I pinned down here. But the problem is usually within us and not around us. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. It's not the other person. It's not the situation. It's not the environment, for the most part. And there are exceptions. Something else I pinned I want to share with you as we close. I've watched couples come in and out of my office over the years through marriage counseling, go through divorce, and seek happiness in a new circumstance, a new relationship, and marry someone new, only to discover that they carried their problems with them. So that statement is very true. The heart of the problem, or the heart of every problem, usually is the problem in the heart. It's within us. It's not around us. Not true in every situation, but it is true in a lot. So let's be careful there. Uh, One last statement. A Christian lawyer made this statement. He said this. He said, about the only people who profit from divorces are attorneys. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And I pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and make us more like the Son of God. And Lord, we've dealt with some teachings that are not popular in our culture today. They're not even popular in a lot of our churches today. But God, it is your word. And Father, I pray you'd help us to stay true to it. Because that's where the true blessings lie. And staying true to your word. I pray that you'd bless the reading, the teaching of your word today. And I pray that we would grow in our faith. And we'd become more like you. In the lives that we live. I pray for the marriages that are here. The families that are represented. And God your, your goal and your desire is for all of us. To experience true oneness. In every aspect. Every area of our life. And help us to do that. I pray for the marriages that are here God. That you would sustain them. And you would revive them. And, and God that you would work in each one's heart. And each one's life. And. Divorce causes so much pain. And there's so many consequences that couples have to live with the rest of their life as a result of it. God, you knew that. And that's why you said you hate it. Father, I pray you'd help us to do whatever we can in our own power, in our own strength. And as you work through us, 
And as we work in your strength, help us to do everything we can to have a blessed, wonderful marriage. And may we never have to experience the pains of divorce. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.